Hey, everybody, Saul Marquez with the Outcomes Rocket. I just want to welcome you back to the show. Today, I have the privilege of hosting the outstanding Dr. Christopher Chen. He is the CEO of ChenMed, a physician practice that aims to bring concierge-style medicine and better health outcomes to the neediest populations. Low-income seniors managing multiple chronic conditions is their sweet spot. Dr. Chen oversees ChenMed's operations throughout its senior medical centers throughout the southeastern United States and Chicago, as well as its portfolio of affiliated primary care practices and groups. He was raised in South Florida, home of ChenMed's headquarters. He graduated from the University of Miami's Honors Program in Medicine. Then Dr. Chan went to complete his medical training at Beth Israel Deaconess, a major Harvard University teaching hospital. Among other accomplishments in his career, he's brought these valuable skills to ChenMed, where he served as CEO since 2009. And under his leadership, ChenMed has grown from four senior medical centers in Florida in 2010 to the 59 it operates across eight states in the U.S. today. The innovative model that they're leading here is really looking at so many benefits, not only to patients, but also the physicians practicing within their practices. So uh, Dr. Chen, such an incredible pleasure to have you here with us today. So it's great to be here. And I, and I know that you know as we continue to grow so rapidly, I think that number is going to be close to 100 medical centers in 12 wow. states uh, by the end of the year. So um, we're certainly excited, but we'll get into that shortly about why we have to grow so fast. That's just amazing. Amazing. And, you know, Chris, I've had conversations with so many physicians that are struggling, you know, that, they, that they're feeling burned out, that the joy from their work has, has been stripped away. And then at the same time, chatting with patients that also feel the same way, that their physician doesn't have time for them, that they're charting, you know, doing stuff in the EMR. Lots of great stuff to cover here, but definitely want to make sure that I give you the opportunity to take this where you want to take it. But before we do, tell us what inspires your work and the work of ChenMed in healthcare. Yeah, Saul, you know, what we've discovered is that there's just too many people who can't get what they deserve. You know, not only do we spend more than any other country uh, in terms of healthcare, we get less for it. And then just to make matters worse is a compounding problem where we also have widening disparities in this country. I'll just give you an example. In every single zip code that we're in today, if you take some of the most underserved neighborhoods and you compare them with some of the wealthiest neighborhoods, you will find a 20 to 30 year life expectancy difference. You know, it goes back to that. You know, there's a scene in Jerry Maguire at the very beginning when, when she says, you know, a first class seat used to just mean uh, that you got a better seat, right? But now it means you have a better life. Well, turns out that if you live in the right neighborhood, you actually not only get a better seat, not only you get a better life, but you actually get more life, about 20 to 30 years more of life. And so, you know, that is something that needs to be fixed. And the problem is our system is just so hard to navigate. You know, as a family of doctors, when my dad had cancer, uh, when I had COVID, we got an opportunity to really experience what it was to be on the opposite side of the glass. And it's a broken system. And so by us bringing this sort of concierge VIP care model into the depths of some of the most troubling and underserved neighborhoods with the greatest needs, what we are aiming to do is to try and go straight at equalizing these massive disparities. And we've got to show folks in America that there's a better way to delivering better health, as opposed to just continuing on this unaffordable mess that we've created. Well said. 
Well said, Dr. Chen. And uh, there is a huge gap. And uh, big Jerry Maguire fan, love that movie. <laughs> and, and, and great analogy, extended life. And, and those extra years, that disparity doesn't have to exist. So let's zoom into Chen Med. How are you and, and the business and the people that you lead in this business adding value to the healthcare ecosystem? Right. Well, you know, we have the saying and in Chen Med, it's in our vision. And we say everyone wins when we achieve our vision. And our vision is to be America's leading primary care provider and we transform care to the neediest populations. That's our vision. And so what that requires of us is that we have got to go straight into these neighborhoods and we've got to deliver great results. So let me just share this with you. The existing system today is built on something called fee-for-service. I like to call that trophies for trying. You know, I have four young kids. Uh, well, actually, they used to be younger. Now my youngest is 10. And they all play soccer when they're young. They kick the ball on their own goal. They lose every single game. And you know what they get at the end of the, the season? What do they get? Trophy. They get a trophy, right? Yeah, you're about to stick words <laughs> right out of my mouth. And, and so... But when they turn about eight or nine, you say, listen, you, you, you can't get a trophy anymore for losing every game because that's not the way the world works. The world works as you get a trophy, you get, you get a gold medal in the Olympics for winning, and that's a result. Well, unfortunately, every single person makes that transition unless you're in healthcare. See, if you're in healthcare, you win by showing up. And actually, in some cases, you may even win more when you know, a population is winning less. Let me, let me give you an example about that. The existing model today is if there's more COVID, if there's more heart attacks, if there's more strokes, if there's more people in the burn unit, that system makes more money. They financially win. They get more trophies when the population does work. Worse, if a surgeon has a complication, guess what? The surgeon gets the, gets the, you know, the trophy for doing the operation, maybe even making a mistake, and then gets another trophy for fixing that. So you might even get two trophies. And so we have this massive sort of malalignment between what customers want, what patients want, and how the existing healthcare system wins. At ChedMed, we only get paid when we have better outcomes. And so what are some of those outcomes? So you ask, you know, what are we doing for patients? Well, first of all, we are trying to make people healthier. And have we measured that by substantially reducing preventable catastrophic admissions, heart failure admissions? We try to reduce admissions. So one of the leading emissions, I'll just give you an example, is heart failure. You all know that the number one cause of death in America today is heart disease. And we study this. And we believe that heart failure, the number one or number two cause of admission in every single um, city in America today, is about 90% preventable. Can you believe that? And so and we have, we have evidence that supports that we are reducing those heart failure emissions by 70 to 80, in some cases, 90%. And not with fancy procedures and, and technologies and all kinds of things like that. We are doing it with good old-fashioned bread and butter, great concierge primary care. What's bizarre to me is that, you know, you'd mentioned that, you know, I'd gone to do my medical training at one of the Harvard hospitals, did my cardiac training at one of the, at Cornell, one of the top leading cardiac organizations in the world today. I left with the equivalent of five board certifications in cardiac and vascular diseases. And guess what? I did not know how to prevent heart failure emissions. So we've got a lot of work to do. But in addition to substantially reducing heart failure emissions, we reduce hospitalization rates by 30 to 50%. We beat all the industry benchmarks for patient satisfaction. We're in the top decile for quality and for patient satisfaction, for ER visits. And let me give, give you one last bit of information about COVID, because right now we're dealing with COVID. Right. No that COVID kills the old predominantly. It kills people with multiple chronic conditions. Those are our patients. And it actually primarily kills minorities. 
there is data out there that suggests that minority patients that have Medicare have a substantially increased risk of being hospitalized and dying of COVID. It's about double the risk. But our patients that are predominantly African-American and minorities, almost over 80% of our patients are actually minorities of some nature, have actually roughly the same risk as, as Caucasians and people who are a lot healthier. So we're able to equalize that massive disparity. Dual eligibles, right? These are patients with Medicare and Medicaid. They actually have almost two and a half times risk of dying in hospitalizations from COVID. And what we've done is we've actually reduced that disparity by over 70%. And so being able to drive better outcomes, which is a result, not that we're trying, we're actually delivering that better result. Being able to do that in some of the most underserved populations and neighborhoods. And as a result, our doctors, our nurses, our staff, they have a much lower burnout rate. Why? Is the work easier? No, the work is not easier. Are they working less? It's not less. What they get that they don't get in, a, in an existing fee-for-service environment or working for a hospital system is purpose. They get purpose. They're making a difference. They're not just going to work every day, billing like crazy and watching the health outcomes for our country continue to drop, which it has been over the last five years, and continue to get more expensive. They feel like they're part of the solution as opposed to being part of the problem. Yeah, that's fantastic. And uh, I've never heard of uh, fee-for-service as trophies for trying. I think the, again, the analogy there is, is, is spot on. Trophies for trying. Wow. I'm sure you guys are listening to this. You're like, oh, that was good. I'm using that one. I am too. <laughs> you just have to show up and you and, yeah. and you get a trophy, right? And so how about showing up and getting a result? And that's really what, what patients need. It's about results, certainly is. And so, Chris, tell us about the model. So, you know, one of the biggest obstacles to the underserved is, you know, really what it takes to pay for it, right? And so... Are you guys working primarily in a Medicaid model? Tell us a little bit about the, the reimbursement strategy and how you're actually getting these patients that need these results, the results that you're giving them. So we're a primary group and we take something called global capitation. That means okay. full upside, full downside for 100% of all healthcare costs, not just professional fees, not just the drugs, not just the hospitalizations, all in. Mm-hmm. Full upside, full downside. And being you know, fully capitated allows us to invest very aggressively on the front end on prevention for our population because we can decide how money is spent. And here's our model. It's very simple. We're going to spend a lot more on primary care. In, in the neighborhoods that we serve, the data has come out. Recently, the Journal of American Medical Association demonstrated that there is far less access and far less spent on primary care in these underserved communities, but they spend a lot more on acute care. And so there's this adage. In certain neighborhoods in America today where you have this massive life expectancy difference, guess who a lot of the primary care is for these underserved communities? The emergency room. Yeah. The emergency room in the hospital. I, I just talked to someone today who said, yeah, the family practitioner is the emergency room for that portion of the population. And it's not a surprise that they have such horrible outcomes. So here's what we do. We try to right that wrong. We take our globally capitated premium and we provide patients with concierge medicine on steroids. The typical doctor in our community has a 3,000 to 1 ratio. For primary care. Our patients have 400 to 1. The typical concierge medicine that CEOs get is 600 to 1. So we do even better. 
than the typical concierge medicine that CEO gets. And we give our cell phone numbers to all the patients. We offer door-to-doctor transportation. We offer holistic care in terms of, of acupuncture. We bring specialists on site. We deliver medications on site so patients don't have to go then to another you know, location to get their medications. We try to make it easy. We have social events on site prior to COVID, right? And you know, Tai Chi classes, Zuma classes, we teach nutrition. We teach them how to, how to improve their lifestyles and behaviors so we can improve their health and lower emission rates. So let's just do the math. If I can spend that much more on primary care, but the goal is to reduce these catastrophic emissions by 50%. Well, the number one cost for this population is actually hospitalizations. And if I can figure out a way to reduce that by 50%, there's going to be tremendous surplus, which then allows me to take that savings and then reinvest it again on delivering amazing primary care for that needy population. And you create this virtuous cycle, right? So great primary care, reduces admit rates. Admit rates are really expensive. And by the way, there's also B costs that you incur inpatient. And there's also post-acute costs that when you get admitted, right? There's this all of this cost that comes from these catastrophic events of falling and breaking your hip or getting admitted for heart failure emissions. We can cut that down substantially. That then goes and allows us to grow that model and then invest in primary care and substantially improve the outcomes of our patients. And we are today equalizing those disparities using that model. We only take Medicare Advantage today. Um, we're waiting for the government to create their own you know, direct primary care contracting um, and make it much more available. Uh, but as of today, we work primarily 100% through Medicare Advantage programs, through Medicare Advantage plans. And so today, our addressable market share is the patients who qualify for Medicare Advantage. Got it. Fascinating. And are you guys playing in the acute care space? Or do you refer that stuff out? You know, it's interesting. We don't provide acute care. So we have decided to not follow in the footsteps of Kaiser by owning hospitals. We believe that we can make such an impact on the prevention of it, that we can make the economics work and deliver just really great outcomes. Now, where we do get involved is we do have hospitals in many of the markets that we're in that will actually go into the hospitals to ensure that the care is coordinated. So that way, discharge is coordinated. That way, the patients have lower length of stay because the longer you stay, the longer you stay, right? Hospital errors and and hospital complications is the number three cause of death in America today. So we really want to avoid that first. But if you cannot avoid the getting into the hospital, which you cannot avoid them all, we believe right. that we lose them by about 50%. We want to make that stay as efficient for everybody involved and as coordinated for everybody involved. So you're working with the hospitals on some of their 30-day readmit uh, areas, I would imagine? Is that, is yeah, that where you guys- That's where we have tremendous alignment, right? Yeah. So we're yeah. trying to substantially reduce readmit rates. That's first of all. We're trying to lower the length of stay. So hospitals who predominantly in a, in a DRG payment system, they really yes. enjoy it right? Because we actually cut down their length of stay and make it more efficient. And the other thing too, hospitals are beginning to enjoy us. You would think, Chris, don't hospitals hate you? And I go, initially, that used to be the case. Yeah. Hospitals used to see us as a major threat, right? Um, had one large hospital system that um, when we first started growing and said, how dare you come into our city? How dare you come in here? We know what you do. We know you're trying to reduce hospitalization rates. And I said, Yes, but it's, it's good for people. <laughs> but now they actually are enjoying us. And here's the reason. They're discovering that the majority of their profitability doesn't come from preventable admissions like heart failure and medical admissions. It comes from elective cases. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I get to tell hospitals these days, I said, listen, hospitals, you still get to make money. We're, we're going to help patients live longer. When they live longer, guess what? They need those elective cases of hips and knees and, and all kinds of different procedures that could potentially um, help them live longer. So we actually can actually help you 
And we can actually reduce these like medical admissions of which most of the time you even lose money on. Yeah. It's it's a good volume versus bad volume, right? You're cleaning it up. Right. And, and of course, it really depends on, you know, which hospital system you're talking about, right? So if they already have, they're already at capacity, you know, they want good volume. They want that those elective cases, which we can help drive because our patients live longer. We have far more preventative services. If they're predominantly making their money in sort of medical admissions um, and they figured out how to do that, and that's the majority of their volume, and they're not at capacity, they tend to not appreciate us as lowering much. hospitalization rates and improving the health of the community. Wow, that is fascinating. And then how about, you mentioned the example of like the those vertically integrated, you know, provider systems, Kaiser, UPMC, et cetera. How do you guys work in those areas? Or maybe you don't. Well, today we are in the mid-Atlantic. We really enjoy Kaiser's methodology. A lot. We actually have a lot of people that join us from Kaiser and, and Kaiser is a beautiful system. The problem is, is that, and what we're being told is people are joining us from Kaiser it's such a great system, but it really, unfortunately, isn't relevant for the whole country. They do a great job on where they are, but yeah. they haven't really been able to scale. And, and, and we scale. I mean, we are in 24 cities in America today. Over the next you know, 18 months, um, we believe that we can add on another 24 cities. And we don't need to buy a hospital. We don't need to be fully vertically integrated to make this work. We just have to have fantastic primary care. And then we offer some key specialties on top of that to make the model work. Um, and we've been able to replicate these results, the ones that we originally had in South Florida, we've been able to replicate it in every single city that we're in today and do it effectively. Today, you're seeing you know, a large number of companies, many of which have gone public, that are replicating pieces of our results and seeing great success. And you know, you'd say, Chris, you know, how do you feel about your competition? And I said, that's awesome. It's wonderful. Because in reality, the market is so big, the need is so great. Yeah. We need over 100 trend nets to get launched in the next three to five years to even make a dent in the need and the massive disparities and inequities that we have in healthcare today. So please, if, you out, if you're out there and you want to create our competition, please do. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. <laughs> we can't do this alone, right? We're looking That's forward awesome. to more people joining this journey into value and getting trophies for outcomes as opposed to trophies for trying. Man, I love that. And we've covered organically, really, a lot of the questions that we usually go through these uh, interviews, Chris, doing it differently. I mean, it's clear. What about outcomes, right? I mean, you, you pointed to a couple, but if you had to crystallize maybe two or three that you feel over and over again, you guys are just hitting them out of the park. Right. First and foremost, we exist to transform care of the neediest populations. That's in our vision. Our mission is we honor seniors with affordable VIP care that delivers better health. In both of those, I am stating a result. We must transform care for the neediest populations. Okay, so we must equalize these massive inequities and, and disparities. And number two, we must deliver better health. That is not a try, that is a result. We measure delivering better health and transforming the care first and foremost by decreasing this big problem that we talked about, which is acute care cannot be the primary, you know, uh, care source for these populations. This is why we believe that this population is doing so poorly. So we must reduce hospitalization rates. We must do it. And every doctor uh, that starts with us every morning, on Monday morning, every Monday morning, I orient all the new employees and the doctors are a part of that. And this is what I tell them. The entire healthcare system today celebrates when populations are sicker. They financially celebrate when populations are sicker. We will not celebrate that. In fact, we exist to make the population healthier, and we measure that by a reduction of preventable admissions. We prevent those things, okay? 
I tell them, this is the hardest job you've ever had because you are taking on something that is twice the size of Russia. See, what do I mean by that? Healthcare. Yeah, yeah what do you mean? I'm curious. Healthcare is a $3.8 trillion business. It's one fifth of the US economy. That $3.8 trillion you know, world of healthcare is twice the size of Russia. Go look at it. Go look at the GDP of Russia and you'll find that US healthcare is double that size. Insane. So every day when you're trying to transform care and you're trying to help enhance the health of a population, whereas everybody else is enjoying the degradation of the health of the population, you're taking on something that's twice the size of Russia. And at the end of the day, change is scariest for those who are in power. And who's in power? In every single U.S. city in America today, either the number one or number two voting entity and the number one or number two largest business in every single city in America today is these large integrated delivery systems. They are in power today. They are the largest portion of this this business that actually wins when populations are less healthy. And so they're going to be disrupted and they need to be disrupted. And the problem is, you know, you can't expect taxi companies to disrupt themselves. You needed Uber to come in and you needed Lyft to come in to disrupt them. You could not expect car companies to make this massive push into electric cars or electric power. You needed the government to sort of facilitate that and incentivize it. You needed both companies to take it on and they got transformed from the outside in. That's what our goal is. Our dream, our goal is to bring down hospitalization rates, show America that there is a better way to deliver better outcomes, improve the health of a community, equalize these disparities, and lower the total cost of healthcare. And we're demonstrating it every day. It's no longer a theory. It's a fact. So now what we need to do is we need to grow faster. We need more people to join this fight, to show and to demonstrate that this is the way. And any other way is actually immoral. I mean, if you know that you can extend life by five to seven years, or you could equalize disparities, or you could reduce hospitalization rates, or you can reduce COVID mortality rates, or you can reduce six-month cancer survival rates. If you knew that you could do that, you need to figure out ways to grow faster. And that's what ChemMed's doing today. We have been growing uh, over the last nine years at a CAGR of around 30 to 40%. We're going to test 40 to 50% this year. Next year, we're going to test 50 to 60 because we are so tech-enabled. You know, people will realize actually that we're actually a tech company that that runs clinics. So, you know, our tech company just won best place to work through IGN for mid-sized tech companies. So, but, you know, essentially we are going to, you know, utilize that tech and want to see how fast we can grow. But even if we grow at 50, 60 or 70% CAGR, it's still not enough. You still need a hundred more Chen Meds out there and me too Chen Meds to go ahead and disrupt what is quite frankly, the largest industry in the world today. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. And it's such a powerful vision, Chris, that it it moves. I mean, it moves us, right? I know it moved me when you shared it. And I know the listeners are probably also moved by it uh, and hopefully encouraged to do something about it. And so talk to us about setbacks. We often learn more about setbacks than successes. What's one that you guys have experienced and a key learning that's made you all even better? Wow. You know, one of my personal biggest setbacks, I hope you don't mind if I sort of tell a personal story here. No, please. Yeah. You know, when COVID uh, was first starting um, in 2018, at the end of June, I, I, I got COVID. And I remember, uh, you know, I actually published my experience and I, you know, and I titled it, it's actually, you can Google it. It's dying in solitary confinement. 
Um, that's what I titled it. And um, I still remember the morning that I got sick, I told my assistant that I was officially in, in race shape for triathlons. I like to do triathlons. And of course, uh, that night I had 103 fever. A week later, I was in the intensive care unit fighting for my life and spent close to a week there, slowly losing you know, my lung volumes, my ability to provide oxygen to my body, um, really suffering. Hmm. And I had the opportunity, this will probably be one of the most difficult things that I've gone through and was a setback, but will end up being one of the greatest experiences that I went through. And here's the reason why. First of all, I had everything stripped away from me. Everything stripped away from me, even my body. And it was by myself. I couldn't see my family. I didn't know that when my wife dropped me off at the hospital, that was potentially the last time I was going to see her uh, in person again. And my children did not know that. And so to be able to experience what it is to be a patient, um, to have everything taken away from you, was very powerful. Hmm. Now, I was very fortunate that I recovered and I got everything given back to me. And I believe I got all my health given back to me and got my family given back to me and my opportunity to lead and make a difference given back to me. And that was really powerful. And, um, and it was just me and just me and my God is sitting in that intensive care unit and you get to test whether or not what you think you believe is really what you believe in terms of, of faith and everything else. So that was number one. Number two, being able to experience healthcare from the other side is really powerful. I got to see how horrible it is. I had beautiful people taking care of me, but it was so uncoordinated. I had every chief you can imagine working on me, and none of them were talking to each other. Yeah. They're not. It was highly uncoordinated and highly inefficient, and there's a lot of suffering. So the first thing that I came out thinking was, we must, I'm even more passionate today about having people avoid that. Thank goodness that there was a hospital there to save my life with great people. But that shouldn't be the majority of healthcare. That should be the minority of healthcare. And the less that we need of that, the better. Less that we need of it, the better. You know, the third thing that I took from this is really, you know, the great equalizer of being sick. Doesn't matter what your background is. Doesn't matter the color of your skin at that point. When you are, when you're dying, we're all the same. We're all the same. And, you know, I, I just I just laid there and I, and I said, you know what, disease does not care who I am, mm-hmm. does not care what I've done, does not care uh, my upbringing, you know, doesn't care that for the first decade of our lives, our family experienced deep, deep poverty, was even homeless for a time, doesn't care that, you know, we had this amazing heart for, for mission work, which is where I met my wife and, and where my brother met his wife was on the mission field in Nicaragua. They don't care about that. All the things that you've done in life or you haven't done in life, it doesn't matter because sickness can get you all. And so, you know, we are now very passionate about figuring out ways to fundamentally go after disease and to enhance health because nobody should experience what I experienced. And unfortunately, many will. Yeah, we really appreciate you sharing that story, Chris. And the contrast, you know, of, of from not having to having, getting it back, just a <laughs> heart and gut wrenching. And so many people that we love have gone through that. Maybe, maybe you've gone through that listening to this right now. And there's no need for us to continue giving trophies for trying. And so, Dr. Chen, what are you most excited about today? You know, I'm most excited about the future. We're at the very beginning of this massive push to trophies for outcomes. And we understand that there's going to be so much, you know, so many barriers. There's going to be so much fear 
There's going to be the largest businesses in America today trying to fight it. But here's one thing I know. The human spirit is very powerful. And now that people know that it can be done, the human spirit can rise above it and continue to innovate and disrupt. Every year, every other year, there are new things coming out, new things scaling out. And so there are those who will try to protect the status quo. Listen, those who protect the status quo, the future is clear. 100% of the time, those who try to protect the status quo in this country, they eventually get disrupted. And that provides tremendous hope. That provides tremendous hope for those who rely on our healthcare system. That provides tremendous hope for those working in the existing healthcare system. They're very unhappy. They're burning out, not because they're working too hard. Our doctors work harder. They're, they're burning out because they don't have purpose. And it gives them hope. It gives hope to America because the number one cost in America today is healthcare. And we've got to figure out a way to actually improve that cost while we're improving the health you know, of our communities. And it provides tremendous hope to those neighborhoods that we're watching them and their life expectancy continue to decline. And there is a massive movement. It's coming of people like us, people who decide to join us, companies like us, partnering companies who are trying to make a difference and going after this massive inequity. Eventually, we're going to make a dent and we're going to make a difference. So I would just encourage everybody to have courage, have courage. If you are a policymaker and you're hearing this, you're going to get a lot of pressure, a lot of lobbying power to keep the status quo. If you're in a business today, uh, in, in healthcare, know that there is help coming along the way, that there are better models out there that can transform care. If you're in a hospital system today, we still need you. You will always need you. Be better at what you do well, but please do not stand in the way of delivering better outcomes. And please do not stand in the way of equalizing disparities. Please don't do that. And, and in the end, something beautiful is happening. Yeah, you know, and I totally agree with you, Dr. Chen. I think the the seed of hope and the seed of possibility is a great one that you've uh, planted with all of us today and, and with the work that you and, and the mission-driven team you've put together at ChenMed, backed by the amazing technology you guys are, are putting together. I think the future of American healthcare is better. And I'm excited to hear about you guys going beyond Medicare Advantage, because I think there's more to be done on that front. And so uh, today, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for for coming on with us. It's chenmed.com, everybody. And Chris, by the way, is there anywhere else that you would recommend people go visit or learn more about you guys besides the website? Sure. You know, I, I like to write a lot of stuff and I post it very frequently on LinkedIn, on nice. Twitter. LinkedIn is probably easier. We get all those nice blogs and just sort of, you know, can inspire folks that just think a little differently mm -hmm. uh, and kind of pull them out of the status quo uh, and give them an alternative that works. So, Love it. So we'll go ahead and put Dr. Chen's LinkedIn profile there so you could follow him on LinkedIn, follow Chen Med and change the perspective here because we're going to give trophies for outcomes now. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Chen, thank you so much for your time today. This is fun. Thanks, Saul. Great to be here.